Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Adrian Danila. He's the regional director of Lesson, and he's the host at Multifamily Chronicles. So Adrian, thank you. Thank you for coming back on the show. Tas, thank you for having me again. I'm very excited, looking forward to our conversation. And uh, you just mentioned to me before we started recording that it's been over two years. It really blows my mind. Sounds like it was, you know, a few weeks back, but I'm so excited to be back here. Awesome. Well, you know, what really caught my eye with what you've been doing for the last over two years is the, the, the pace of growth. You know, even without talking to you directly uh, very much or messaging a lot, I could just see the amount of growth that's occurred over just over two years. So I definitely want to sort of paint the picture of where you were in January 2020, just for the audience, that the people that haven't listened to the previous episode, and then we can go from there. So take me back in time from to that point. Where were you at? What were you dealing with? Definitely. So back in 2020, at the time we did the first podcast, I was the director of maintenance for a group based in Atlanta, ECI Group. They own and manage about 7,000 apartment homes throughout the Southeast, throughout about six states. One of the great things that happened over there while I was with them, I was there for almost three years, two years and nine months. We started with a high volume of you know work, pending work orders, and we were able to build a team, a support team, and then our average pending work orders were about in the 30s. I'll say when we close each week and we got them from the 30s to single digits for each property. So just to paint the picture for those that are not too familiar with multifamily, we're talking about communities that have two, three or 400 apartment homes each. And for an apartment community that has a few hundred apartment homes to only have, you know, at the end of the, the week, three, four, seven, nine tickets, single digit numbers, that's really good. That's a great performance. Yeah. Being able to multiply that across a portfolio of 7,000 apartment homes, and we actually did that for 85 weeks in a row, including during pandemic. That was one of the things that I'm, I'm super proud of. So that was at the time. And then uh, back in August of 2021, I left PCI and I went to work for Bridgestone. Bridgestone is a, a new company, new property management company. They were the property was uh, was created to uh, to manage portfolios of real estate for Ashcroft Capital. So basically, it's their the company that owns the real estate. So they build the management company to manage. So I was there for uh, for only four months because I came across an opportunity that seems like it, it really fits me. It fits me really well. The opportunity was with Lesson, the company that I'm with right now. So what Lesson does is maintenance services for single family and multifamily institutional owners. And they hire me to come on board and build their whole East Coast market. And that's what I've been doing since December. Actually, started in December. I've been here for a little over four months. And I already helped them open 18 new markets all throughout East, mainly Southeast, and we're in process of opening four more by the end of this month. Very exciting. 
Awesome. Okay, let's 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 go back to the first company you with. You said you reduced the tickets. Now, how did you do that? How did you take it from such a high number to a low number? What were the keys? So the, 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 there were a few things. There were a few components. The, the first component was I build KPIs. So when I first got hired, I was told that you know we have a significant problem. Everybody, there's a significant concern with the quality of the maintenance services, and there's a lot of work that has a, that it's not done. A lot of pending work. So when I asked the question, hey. How do we quantify, like, how much work are we talking about? There wasn't really a, a precise answer. So I said, well, you know, we're, we're missing a, an important piece. In order to improve something, you have to be able to measure it. So what I've done, I put together a, a, a set of KPIs that actually tracks pending service request numbers per day. Each property is listed with whatever they have pending per day, Monday to Friday. And then Friday, I will measure those numbers twice. First thing at opening, and Friday evening when all the property is closed. And that will give me the average number per property. So just the simple fact that I created these KPIs created visibility because this report that I was putting together was not just for me, was for everybody in the company to see from the president of the company all the way down to groundskeeper on each side. So what that created was, you know, the, we created this accountability piece and also individuals and professionals that, you know, took pride in their work. They always wanted to be at zero work orders or, or the lowest number. They didn't want to be at a hundred to close with a hundred or we're 50. So that in itself, you know, did a lot of good for, for us as an organization. So that was one thing. Second thing that I've done, I realized that at any given point, we're going to have openings, no matter how great of a recruiting game we could, you know, we could have, we're not going to be able to have no vacant positions. So I said, okay, what's the average number of vacant positions in maintenance for us portfolio-wise? And let's just assume for the sake of the argument, the number was 12. Okay. Well, I don't need to hire 12 people, but if I could hire four or five people, they're really, really good ones. They really know what they're doing great professionals and I'm able to pay them over market salary, I could cover all those holes, just me running the team and with those, you know, three, four, five individuals. So the structure that was there in place before I got there was two basically flooring service managers. So from two flooring service managers, we made like, we bump them up to regional service managers, those individuals, and then we added a flooring service manager, a flooring service technician, and we we hired a part-time HVAC professional. There was an individual that had a you know had a business on his own. He didn't want to work full-time, but an excellent professional. So with those people that you know we added to the corporate team that I ran, those are the, the two main factors, the two main components that you know I brought to the table that we were able to get everything to get everything in just a pretty short period of time. And not only that, but I should say we stayed, you know, staying in those very low single digit numbers for 85 weeks in a row. It's, it's truly remarkable. It's very hard to achieve. Yeah. So I'm assuming what it sounds like is you, you figured out there's, there's always 12 vacancies, even if you're doing a great job, you create this floating team that is, that is paid very well to be able to, cover in different ways across the territory so they're probably traveling a lot their jobs are changing all the time but they're yeah. paid well they're smart 
and it fits with their lifestyle that's actively covering this as you're recruiting against this uh, these vacancies. You're absolutely right, but not not only that. You know, for, for those that think that hey, you know, my company can't afford that. Let me tell you, you can't afford it. Like you can afford it. It's out there. It's in your payroll because if you have an average of let's say 12 positions that I made a case for 10, 12 positions vacant at any given time, that's payroll that you know you're not spending money on. So you're not gonna pay those four or five individuals double that you would pay your people on site. Yeah. But you'll pay them 20, 30%, you know, better, you still have savings left. And then you use that floating team to go where the problems are. It, it sounds like, oh, that's easy. We could do it if that's the case. But <laughs> the reality is like you have to be great at managing. You have to know exactly where the issues are. So you're not wasting your resources. You're actually sending like everything is very targeted, right? We send the people where the needs are, where most of the needs are. It, it comes at any at no extra cost. I promise you that. Actually, yeah. you still have savings in payroll. I mean, essentially, you know, this team, you need to be very close to this team, right? Because they have to trust that you're 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 not sort of abusing the the flexibility that you get them in, you get them out, and and you know, make sure that their families are good. And then also, I think the I think the the thing that I'm I'm sort of guessing is. You know, when you have that many vacancies and you don't have anyone covering, then the tickets go up and then the, the cost is hitting your PL anyways. So essentially, you're trying to get ahead of it by having this floating team. You're right, but it is not only that. You just said something very interesting. I want to pick up on that. Yeah, yeah. There's another aspect that you know you're helping with. The aspect being that when you have a property where, you know, you should be, you are budgeted, let's say, for four maintenance professional, supervisor, and technicians, and you only have two. So you only work at, you know, 50% of your capacity. The longer you work, the bigger the chance for those two that you have left is for them to leave because you burn them out. So by having the support team help them with a, with a work volume to keep, you know, to keep up with a, you know, with a workload, it's a tremendous help. It's something that, you know, can be necessary. It's kind of like soft cost saving. You can quantify the money. Well, I guess you can, but it's not that easy to quantify money. You know, when you know that you save two guys from burnout and from leaving your company, we all know what the situation in the market and the labor market is nowadays. Like saving two people, it's, you know, they're waiting gold, really. So we were able to save a lot of guys, not get them stressed out just because they knew we have their backs. So that's another, you know, that's another benefit of the program that I've implemented. Yeah, for sure. Now you mentioned a, another thing on sort of the recruiting and and having people's backs. You talk a lot about this on your social media. What are some key points you really kind of hammer home consistently? Okay, recruiting. Recruiting is something that you might be passionate about for, for years. And I think for a company, for an individual, for a recruiting manager, for a hiring manager to be successful is to truly understand human nature and understand what the needs and the desires of people are. Instead coming and say, this is what we offer is that what are our candidates looking for? What are they looking for in a job? Because it's not just the salary, it's not just the benefits. In all reality, I think that there's many other things that come before money. Of course, up to a certain level, I wanted to say money is important because 
no matter what, if you're not making enough money to pay your bills, that's not going to be a good proposition for you. You, you, You're not going to be in a good spot. But once you hit that level, you achieve the level of what you could afford to have a living. The rest of the stuff, it's not like it's not money. Money goes like third, fourth. You know, it's not in a it's not in a first place. Culture, upward mobility, opportunities for advancement, recognition. Don't be the invisible employee. Most of the employees, I'm not just talking about my industry, property management. But there's so many workers out there in my travels. I run into them all the time. They're invisible people. They truly are invisible. We think we see them. We don't see them. Like we're looking at them like they're just some moving fixtures in the environment. I ran into a gentleman that, you know, cleans up uh, beaches on Jacksonville Beach. At, he gets up at 3.30 in the morning. And I met him while I was doing my, you know, my morning walks because I get up very early and I walk like four or five o'clock in the morning. And then I stopped by to thank him. I took a picture with him. I acknowledged him. I put something. I did a post on LinkedIn. Let, let me tell you, I, I, I took his phone number and I texted him the message. He was so grateful. He said, I showed this to my boss, to our company owner. And then you just made my day with this because he's so happy that someone acknowledges the work we do. So when you think about it, that's, what did it take me a few minutes of my time to just say thank you and just acknowledge? And I have several stories like that with individuals that, you know, doing a remarkable job in their job, but they're not fancy jobs. You know, they're not the shiny jobs. They're not the jobs that you see on TV, you know, advertised like they're the best jobs. They're the uh, barista at, at Starbucks. I go to Starbucks a lot. And uh, it blows my mind that, you know, we just kind of, look through them and we don't take a second to acknowledge, hey, you know, you, you did a great job. You know, you've been nice to me. Thank you. Say thank you. Like meaning thank you. You know, be meaningful in what you're saying. So all those things are very, very important. And I think that companies are, are looking at things very in a very transactional way. And I won't say companies probably is not a word, but then people that are in charge with recruiting, they just say, for example, well, you know, we're offering a competitive package. And then every time I hear competitive package, my question to you is, define competitive. The answer that I get 98% of the time is that we're in line with what our competition, you know, our comps pay in the area. And then I do a follow-up question. I say, yes, you do, but you do realize that they have the same problem as you do. Like, just because you're offering the same benefits, it doesn't mean that your problem is solved. It's not going to be solved because if you're looking at them, they have the same problem as you do. So they're not solving the problem. You have to do better than that. You have to do better than that. Another thing that people are in a mindset of, you know, saying nowadays is that people don't want to work. Please understand this once for all is that people do want to work. They just don't want to work under any circumstance. They do have alternatives. And in my opinion, they they always did have alternatives. It's just that nowadays, more than ever, they have awareness that they have alternatives. And it's also the gig economy that didn't exist maybe five, seven years ago. You know, Uber, DoorDash, I do a lot of Uber. I, I speak with, you know, with the drivers all the time. Not a single driver that I've asked if they're happy with, you know, with this type of gig said that, you know, they, they hate it. They all love it. Why? Because they could make their own schedule. 
So think about schedule flexibility is very important for people. There's so, so many things and so many opportunities out there. Instead saying people don't want to work, you have to think about this. What am I doing wrong in the recruiting process with the way I'm putting together my job offers so that people don't come to my company? Do I actually go where people live? I, I call this go where they live. A lot of times it's a virtual space, right? Whether they're LinkedIn or their Facebook groups. Don't just post like a cookie cutter type of Canva and flood the internet, the LinkedIn with the same type of Canva. You, you might change the colors and the wording a little bit and say that you did marketing and nobody wants to work because nobody is going to come to you. You have to find ways to go to them. You have to have find ways to differentiate you from your competition. All I'm seeing on LinkedIn, it's a long list of Canvas that they all look the same. A little bit change in design, a little bit change in text, and everybody does the same thing. And at the same time, everybody says, people don't want to work. Find a way, find a way. There are ways. And there are ways and they're working. Very cool. I love it. Tell me a story. It sounds like, you know, what you were hinting towards is that these sort of you know, talking to people that may be invisible have led you to hiring or other opportunities like that. I think you were kind of hinting towards that. I'm guessing you have a few stories. Yes, my, my stories are that I've learned a lot, you know, over the years and I'm learning every day still. When it comes to hiring, don't be so harsh on people when you judge them. Don't make them go through the hoops, application process. Uh, they submit your resume. They submit a resume and then you turn around and you say, you got to fill out the application. It's a five, six page document that nobody reads that basically has to be filled out with the same information that they already had on the resume. Why is that necessary? Just because some bureaucrat in HR needs to have, like they need to have that in a file. That's absolutely ridiculous. You have to make this process of recruiting. You have to make it frictionless, as frictionless as possible. This is what changed everything. It changed the game, this phone. If everything has friction in it, your customer is not going to come to you, okay? Your candidates for jobs are your customers. Remember that. What you're offering when you put a job out there, it's a product. You're selling a product. That's the job that you're advertising. If people don't come to, you know, to apply for your jobs, you got to make a better product. Don't blame the customer for not buying your product. You have to go back to the drawing board and, and you know, build a better product. So make it frictionless. Get to them. Get to them immediately. Be able to have an offer on, on a table. I understand I think people way better than I did even a week or a month ago because I am a student of human nature. And I'm fascinated by the human nature. And I understand that there's so much good in people. We became so judgmental, we're thinking like in the 1990s, and we think that we're the big company. It doesn't matter. You could put any name out there. We're the big company. People are going to come, line up our door, line up at our door, and then hope that by the grace of God, we're going to pick them. It's not happening. It's not happening. You have to make it very appealing for them to come to you. A very few companies I could think of, they have this luxury that they don't do massive advertising, massive outreaching that people are attracted to them. You know, a, a very few, maybe tech companies, let's say like Apple, like Google and Facebook. Everybody else competes over a shrinking pool of talent. Try to see the value in people. 
instead trying to make them fit in a box that's been arbitrarily created. Yeah. I know how those jobs are, are being created. You know, I actually participated to put together new job descriptions when I ran uh, maintenance teams for uh, for property management companies because they were newly created, uh, newly created positions, but they were just a guideline. I never really went to check the boxes. If someone is not, you know, checking 70, 80% of the box, boxes, they're not good. I, I found exceptional talent. You just have to listen to people. One of our biggest mistakes we make in general in a work is that we listen so we can respond, not to really understand. Take the time to really understand people. You'll be absolutely amazed how much talent is out there that otherwise you're basically just waiting out through your completely artificial criteria. And that creates more pain for your company. And then, of course, you're amazed why people, you know, why you can't find qualified people. Yeah, for sure. Now, let me understand your current role and what are the mechanics and, and practices you, you need to do to be successful going forward? Because your role has shifted quite a bit recently. So walk me through your role, the, the mechanics around it, and what, what, what you think is required to, to be successful at. So uh, the, my current role, my current role is a director of maintenance for Lesson for East Coast. So basically, we're a maintenance service company, as I mentioned before. And what we do, we operate in markets where our clients have properties. And for right now, we're, we're servicing mainly single family customers. And then second part of the year, we're, we're going to start working with multifamily more. We are doing a little, a little bit of multifamily work, but we're not at the point where we're doing a lot. But we know that there's a potential. And we also understand that due to the labor shortages in general, and especially labor shortages in maintenance, the future for this trade is gonna be more towards outsourcing. So we're trying to fill that weight. We're trying to build, we're trying to build the structure that's gonna fill this weight. So when a company, when an owner for a, an institutional investor, single or multifamily, has a number of homes or apartment homes, thousands of homes, and they need service, they need maintenance done to them. We want to be that company that they're going to call first. We have company vans on the road. We put $9,000 worth of tools on the vans. You know, we equip them with everything that they need. We give them the support, all the support that they need. In order for, we just need them to go out there, do the work and be successful. So the difference between what I used to do before and what I currently do now is because it's the main difference is that we are remote. We're a remote company. We're based in Arizona. Our headquarters are based in Arizona. I'm based in Atlanta. Right now, I'm in a beautiful St. Augustine, Florida. Today, I'm actually riding with uh, with one of my teammates right here. We, we spend the whole morning, and we're going to spend the afternoon together. So the main key to success to me is that I'm there present in person. You can't assume that certain things happen the way they happen. You have to see it with your own eyes. And it, it's a very enlightening experience to see people that do such a great job, their experience. I'm actually learning from them because I've been in a field for 19 years, but then my last probably seven to 10 years, I've done very little hands-on work, even though I remember how it's done. But due to the management positions that I've held, 
in large organizations, I never had to work. I, you know, that was not part of my job to do hands-on work. So I get to enjoy in a big way now spending time with my teammates. And as I said before, understand who they are, where they're coming from. What can I do to make them successful? So basically, that's what it is. We go into a market where we have a client. We start by hiring a main supervisor. And then as the workload increases, we started adding technicians you know, for that uh, maintenance supervisor to uh, to oversee. So that's our model. We have uh, a few markets that are already, you know, four or five people in each market. And we have other, other markets that we're just starting with one or, one or two individuals. The key is really to just be there, just be present all the time, in, in person as much as possible. Yeah. And, and do you do the selling or does someone sell the business or are you part of that process? It's a very interesting question. So, you know, th- there's a two-part answer. The first part answer is that, uh, you know, our company has, you know, many investors, obviously, that have invested in our business. And, you know, they're also associated with uh, uh, where they might be investors in companies that own real estate, too. So it's kind of for them just telling the other side, the side that owns the real estate that, hey, there's a service company out there that does service. So... We do do sales, but then a lot of our uh, a lot of our business comes comes from you know from the fact that we're interconnected. You know, we have common investors with others that invest in actual in the buildings. They're purchasing buildings. From my contacts in multifamily, we had you know some initial conversations with with multifamily. Actually, when some of my peers that heard that I left the management side, going in on a on a vendor side. You know, to provide services, they actually reached out and they wanted to learn what type of you know services, what type of work we do at Lesson. So it, it's it's a very exciting time. We're still at the very beginning. You know, we're we're still in an infancy. I don't want for people to think that you know we we already have you know thousands of maintenance employees because we don't. But uh, we just started. Like literally, when I started four months ago on the East Coast, I believe we only had two markets, and now we're looking at twelve markets in my area, and I'm about to. Open three more, so that that's gonna be that's gonna put me at fifteen markets in less than five months. I think that's pretty good. That's a good start. Wonderful. Well, it seems like a very entrepreneurial environment. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, keeping up with this, Adrian. Anything else you you want to sort of bring up? You know, reflecting over the last two years or so, what you learned or anything you want to pass on? I think so. I think I like to share with everybody that if you're looking at me, you like some of the things that you're hearing. Maybe you know me from my posts on LinkedIn or from other social media, and you just kind of follow my trajectory for the past two years, three years, five years, seven years, is that never stop pushing. I'm not an extraordinary person. You're not looking at some very gifted individual, very, you know, special. I'm not, I'm not any different than, you know, anyone that's watching this podcast right now and than anyone out there. What I do have, I think, and I wish for everybody to acknowledge, to have awareness that they have it too, is that I don't give up. I keep pushing. I keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Don't expect immediate results because results are not going to come immediately. A lot of people know me for a year, two or three years. I've been at this game for 19 years. The other 15, 16 years, nobody heard about me or very few people. So work your way up. And then build, build on your skill set, on your knowledge, on your network. Extremely important. Stay in touch with relevant people. Build a network. 
And then after 15, 16, 20 years, you're going to see how this pays off like compound interest. So this is not overnight people that are looking at you know me and say, hey, you know, you, you've done some great things. Yeah, but it's not overnight. Like I've been working at it for 19 years. Have patience, it's the long game. You have a long, long way ahead of you. Even if you're in your 40s or 60s, don't think that it's too late for you. The things that you could accomplish in 10, 15 years are just beyond belief. If you really believe in yourself, you do have the resources to be that person. Well, that's a wonderful message. Thank you, Adrian. And I appreciate you sharing your follow-up story. That's, thank you so much for having me. I, I truly, I truly enjoy the podcast. I truly enjoy our conversation. So. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash tats talks for video of today's podcast hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com